The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with longtime friend and guest from, uh, what, 12 years ago, Eileen, Eileen Rivera of Maximus. Welcome. Good morning, Mark. It's so wonderful to see you again. Yeah, we're we're on screen here, but you guys aren't going to see that. You're just going to hear us talk. So uh, Eileen and I have been friends for 12 years now. And when she was between positions, she actually started her own consulting firm. And she started a blog that I found intriguing. And one of her posts got me so much, I asked her to be on the show. So welcome back. (laughs) Oh, it's a thrill to be back with you, Mark. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. We we won't wait 12 years for the next interview. How's that? (laughs) So Eileen's here for a very specific reason, but we're going to broaden it out from that topic. She has a new book out called Hard Talk which is about being, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, being a Marcom in the government space, not just a contractor space, but um, I've I've had the opportunity to read it. It just came out on Amazon, so go get it. Eileen Rivera, Amazon, hard talk, very easy to find, uh, and it won't break the budget. But tell me, you know, why did you write this? Well, thank you, Mark. So, There are a couple of reasons. I'll start with the more personal one, which is that I've been wanting to write a book my whole life. Uh, I've started many different books over my lifetime. My husband can tell you uh, that, uh, but I've never finished one. So it was for me a goal. You could say it's sort of a bucket list item that I was um, really intent on finally finishing a book. So that's the personal reason. I would say another reason, Mark, is that over the years, uh, as you noted, I've written different articles uh, about different things that I've done uh, as a marketing and communications leader in the government contracting space. And a lot of what I talk about is what I learned from actually working in the government. So when I made the transition out of government, I was a I was very fortunate to serve uh, as a, a political appointee in a prior administration. So when I transitioned into government contracting, and my first role was as a public relations leader of of the federal business of a of a pretty major govcon, I drew a lot of my experiences working in the government to my new role, and I found that. I was asking the kinds of questions that I didn't hear other people ask. And I was always sort of pressing for answers that weren't apparent. So things like when you're asked to write a press release, right? When you need to put out an announcement about a major contract that a company has won, there are audiences that you want to make sure understand the significance and the importance 
of a monumental uh, government contracting win with a with a federal agency. So long and short, really, Mark, is that over the last 20 plus years and in various companies that I've been at, where I've been a in a public relations or communications or marketing leadership role, I have found that having to have those kind of hard conversations to press to get the the real information that you need to tell a good story is sort of become my secret sauce, sort of my edge. And that's what I write about in my bookmark. Okay. I mean, there's a number of, of, uh, of vignettes throughout the book that are absolutely cool. But, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things you said there in, intrigues me, uh, like a lot of the things you write intrigue me. You know, when, when you're writing a press release, you have to have an audience in mind. Oftentimes when a contract win comes through, the upper echelon just want the word to go out without regard to which audience necessarily you're writing for. You know that I write a lot. Um, you do. And I encourage other people to write as well. But I always try to focus on who... I am writing for, because I, I want to, I'm writing to influence. Okay. I'm also writing for feedback. So who, who was the audience that you were writing for when you were sitting down? And, and, and I know how you did this because, uh, because we were chatting a lot throughout the process, but who did you have in mind when you were writing? No, it's a great question, Mark. So, you know, when I first started out, in government contracting, you know, I, I had to kind of educate myself, to be honest, on all of the stakeholders that you want to make sure in your role as the uh, chief communicator to, to the audiences that you want to reach, who are they, number one, and one, and two, what do they need to know? And what do you want to make sure they know? So one of the audiences that I honestly wasn't as familiar with when I was in government was the whole uh, financial audience, right? The investors. So I've worked for a combination of both publicly traded and private companies. Um, Most of the companies, honestly, I've worked for have been publicly traded. So talking to investors is something that I learned early on as a really important audience. And so before I formally got into a role of actually leading investor relations, which I did for a a former company I worked for, I learned how to speak to the street, right? And it's not something that you, you learn when you are, you know, in government for sure. But when you are in a publicly traded company, there are certain themes and messages that you, that you have to make sure an investor audience is understanding. I'll give you a good example. I talk about it in my book. Uh, The first company I went to work for, the former EDS, which is now HP, Hewlett Packard, um, I was asked to write a win release about a major contract that the company won with the, the, the Department of the Navy and the Marine Corps. It was called the Navy Marine Corps Intranet, NMCI. And it was then, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. It was kind of considered back then, I call it the crown jewel of major contracts. Uh, I believe it was about a billion dollar um, 
total contract value. And so I started at EDS right after the company had won this very coveted new piece of business. And one of the things I was asked uh, was to draft a press release to announce the win. And so I had to coordinate with headquarters of the company, which was uh, headquartered in Plano, Texas. So I put together a, a draft and I had to ensure I explained things like when would the company realize a profit? Because <laughs> there was a considerable investment up right. front. And so it was things like that, Mark, that I remember needing to explain to the head of corporate communications for the company, a really great guy who said, listen, Eileen, how am I going to explain this to our investors that we have to wait about three years to realize a profit on this contract. I said, well, let me explain to you the budgeting cycles of federal agencies. <laughs> and ha having been inside a few federal agencies prior to being in the government contracting space, I was able to do that and help someone who had not been inside of the government. So that really helped me. Yeah, um, the the whole speak, you know, speak the language of the street or explain things to the street you know, early on when uh, when PE got into government contracting, they would do so, you know, the company would win an IDIQ worth $50 billion. You know, I have a spot on soup. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to make $50 billion. It means you have access to a vehicle where you can bid on task orders. That's and right. I used to speak to a number of uh, of analysts that um, dealt primarily with the reseller channel, so a lot of product stuff. And only one of them, the guy at Raymond James, understood, and we talked regularly, and I introduced him to a lot of people in the market. But speaking to the street, you know, God bless you, I don't want to um, – <laughs> We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Eileen will return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with my friend and author, Eileen Rivera, whose new book, Hard Talk, is available now. This, this is a gem. Anybody in BD, marketing, uh, Marcom Communications, sales and all executives should be reading this thing because it is it's chock full of really useful uh tools tactics and really fun stories i mean they aren't necessarily i'm glad i didn't live through some of them but i'm sure as hell <laughs> glad eileen did and wrote about them so uh let's get back to who the audience is for your book and who's going to benefit most well great so I, there are um, some pretty targeted audiences for this book. Um, I would first start out with just saying, in general, I hope my book appeals to anyone who has um, built a career unexpectedly under unexpected circumstances. I certainly, as I talk about in my book, when I was um, transitioning out of government, I never in a million years thought I would be doing marketing and communications for government contractors. So I talk about sort of, you know, the transition that I made and how I had to kind of reinvent myself under circumstances that weren't ideal, but 
So that's my primary. My first audience is anyone who has had to build a career unexpectedly. But primarily, my primary audience, Mark, as you just um, indicated, are people who are leading government, uh, are, are leading marketing and communications for government contractors. People who are maybe starting out in their career, just got into a role, and are trying to figure out how can they make a difference, where's their niche, as well as seasoned Marcom folks. Um, I've been very fortunate over the last 20 plus years to have built a network of folks that do kind of kind of similar work to what I do. And I've learned so much from them. And I share a lot about what I learned from some of those folks in my book. So that's the second audience. The third audience really um, are, I would say, kind of the executives of government contractors, CEOs, CFOs, uh, the heads of BD, the heads of business units, as well as board members. Um, what I talk about is that being at the table with other executives is a relatively new thing for Marcom leaders. Um, and I talk about that in my book, how um, traditionally the, uh, a marketing communications leader had not really been uh, invited to be at the C-suite or in the, in, the, in the executive ranks of a company. But what I'm finding now is that is definitely changing. And I think the reason is, is that um, the skills and the talents that we bring, we help connect the dots. And I think that what I hope my story will, will, will help corporate executives better understand is really and appreciate that confluence of capabilities that we folks in marketing communications bring to a company. Yeah, I mean... When when budget crunches hit, normally it's Marcom that is sliced first. Um, and you know from my perspective, that's about as stupid as you can get. But that's neither here nor there because it's what happens. So um, do I get a vote? Not usually. Um, so um, you, you just outlined a couple of these things. But if you had to pick a couple of lessons you really want uh number one what lesson for the c-suite then number two what lesson for the marcoms sure so for the c-suite and i talk about this in my book is as important decisions are being made and sometimes we in our roles don't always aren't always at the begin or at the table at the beginning of a discussion but we catch wind of it. Like, let's just say a, um, a pursuit, a major business pursuit is um, being developed that could have wide implications across the company. Really, it's important to you to, to invite yourself to the table. You may not be invited, but one of the things that I've learned the hard way is you've got to really assert yourself. Don't expect to be asked. You need to find a way and to contribute to strategy. And I think that that's something that a lot of folks that don't really understand really what a marketing and communications leader brings to a company is we ultimately are the, are the strategists. We're the ones that are connecting the dots to make sure that the target message that you want to make sure gets out. We are the ones typically shaping those messages to make sure that we get out of the, the mumbo jumbo, as I call it, the techno speak, 
and we're we're translating that to the end user, right? So most government contractors, they really are B to G to C, right? So our customer is a government agency. We government contractors work uh, on contract with, let's just say, a federal or a state agency. But at the end of the day, their customer is who you really need to make sure that you're you're helping them connect with. So I talk about how really a Marcom uh, leader's role is to ensure that the message can be understood once you get past the G to the C, business to government to constituent or consumer. Cool. So an unambiguous message. Absolutely. <laughs> so what 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 lessons for the Marcom? I mean, there's an overlap there with the Marcom yeah. people. But I mean, you're you're also telling them that your seat at the table is not guaranteed. So make some noise. What what else do you want them to take away from this? Sure. So I I talk about um, one of my earliest experiences um, at a company I was with for almost seven years, and it was my second day on the job, and uh, I had heard a little bit about a particular situation that had happened with a contract that this company had won, but didn't know that it really had caught the attention of the investigative section of the Washington Post. And uh, uh, <laughs> I, know, I, yes. I remember. Yeah. Remember that? Yep. My lesson learned there, and, and, and I invite you to read that chapter. The chapter is called a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And so one of the lessons, there are many lessons learned from that experience. But one of the things that I did learn is you have to ask for time, right? So you can't expect to be to know everything. But in, in, in a role of a Marcom leader, you are the de facto spokesperson. So you are actually expected to know everything. But if you don't, you have to ask for more time and you got to find the experts who will educate you. So one of the things that I remember, you know, going through boxes and boxes of old files from a contract that the Washington Post had found out about, I didn't ask for enough time with with both the reporters as well as with our, our own organization to find out about important decisions like increasing the total contract value and why we're... Uh, various changes made, you got to find, you got to find all that stuff out. So I would say is never be bashful and asking for time so that you get the information you, you need to do your job. Okay. I want to get into the mechanics for a little bit before we break. So we touched bases several months back. This is the second time, by the way, your name is on a book cover within a year. So congratulations for that. But this Thank is the first are. time that it's you alone on the book cover, which I I remember the feeling. It's absolutely cool. What what are the challenges you encountered in writing this? I mean, aside from you you've got a family, you've got kids, and you know you have to chunk it out. What were the impediments? Yeah, no. Well, you hit on a really important one, which is time. And I'll just put a preface to that. I would say quality time. <laughs> um, I had to make a plan to write. And I talk about how I needed to kind of uh, predict when I would kind of have what I call bursts of creative juices, right? Because 
not all quality time is created equal. So I needed to find time when I knew that I would be able to to be dedicated and be focused. So that was definitely one of the ways that I solved that was, and I talk about a little bit about this is um, I found a a friend who had a a house at the beach and I would plan weekends where I could go and spend, you know, a day or a day and a half. And that's how I got through a lot of my, my writing. I would say um, the second um, uh, challenge is knowing that I needed a good editor, right? And, you know, I've taken um, several writing classes over my life. uh, And what those classes has always taught me is just keep writing. Don't stop. But eventually you're going to need to edit it. So I was very fortunate to find a good editor. And that really was a huge, huge change. Uh, He made a huge change for the quality I would say the third is finding a publisher. And uh, I knew I needed to self-publish. I watched countless YouTube videos. Mark, you gave me some great advice. But when I finally sat down and um, tried to put together a publishing plan, it was it was challenging. So I was very fortunate to come across a company called Cary Press International. And they became my publisher. And I'm very grateful they helped me put together my final manuscript. I would say, lastly, um, having a good site, a good website to tell your story is imperative. And uh, that was uh, something I spent quite a bit of time writing, developing. And I'm very grateful to my very talented brother, Brian Cassidy, who designed my site for me it's really your launching pad. It's your place that you direct people to, to learn more about you, about your book, market yourself and your book, and to uh, make it convenient for people to order. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Eileen right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Eileen Rivera, author of Hard Talk, just fresh off the press, available at Amazon. Get it. I'm assuming it's available through any book outlet. So, um, but Amazon jumps to mind because that's where I publish now. Uh, It's available um, right now on Amazon. You're absolutely right, Mark. There you go. So, you and I have had this discussion a couple of times, but what advice would you give someone who's always wanted to write a book? Two words, do it. Uh, follow on to that is that don't wait for the perfect time because there is no perfect time. Uh, so if you're passionate about something, and I would say one of the one of the things that, Mark, you helped me with is to really hone in on what is the passion that you want to share with others, because that is what will make it an easier and much more enjoyable experience. Right. So um, I would say the third um, piece of advice I would give is find a mentor. And I was very lucky, Mark, that you were that mentor to me. And I will forever be grateful for uh, you. I I call it um, you were the nudge that I needed. And I talk about a little bit how I knew that um, when you and I had reconnected and I expressed to you my desire to write a book and 
told you that I needed just some help thinking it through, you unabashedly said, I'd be happy to, and I'll be forever grateful for that, Mark. But what really helped was you put me on a, uh, a timeline. And so I talk about how uh, those Monday mornings when you and I checked in with each other, it was like going, and I've been on Weight Watchers before, by the way. It was like being on Weight Watchers and you got you to weigh in. And, and so I knew I had to weigh in with you. And that meant that I had to have um, information that I had already sent to you that you could have reviewed to give me feedback. So that would be my third piece of advice is find a mentor uh, that can help uh, keep you. And fourth piece of advice is to give yourself a deadline. There is nothing like a deadline to uh, motivate you. And I did put together my own deadline and my own timeline and it kind of miraculously helped, uh, worked, I meant to say. I did also get my family involved. So I had a, I have a little uh, index card that I taped to my computer. And I had a, a date by when I wanted to have this all done. And my family kept on me. How close are you, mom? So I would say get your family invested in your in your deadlines. How do they feel about the book? What do they think about your face on the cover of the book? <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that, Mark, because I wasn't planning originally to have my face on the cover. Um, I had looked at some various designs, and it was another person that I really need to thank. His name is Scott Bartley uh, of Bartley and Dick. It's a creative agency in New York City that my sister-in-law, Lauren, introduced me to. And uh, it was through working with Scott how he helped me see that uh, marketing myself was really the best way to market my book, right? Was putting myself on the cover was was um, what he helped me get comfortable with. So um, actually, it was also my 17-year-old daughter who convinced me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, my cover's been on the back of a couple of, my face has been on the back of a couple of books, but not on the front. And I don't know that I would personally go there. <laughs> um, maybe, you know, 20 years ago when my first book came out, but not now. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, the other thing is when, as you were writing the book, I mean, I, I go through this all the time when I'm writing, when I'm writing about things in the past, especially things that I was involved with, are there things that I would do different? So what, what did you see? I mean, you've been I, very few missteps that I could see, but are there things that you would do differently? You know, it's a great question. And now that I'm kind of sort of over the finish line to a degree, <laughs> even though I think the hardest part now really is getting folks to be aware of the book. So I'm kind of in that sort of last cycle, if you will. Uh, which I think is also the most important is um, promoting and making reach, sure you're my target reach out to the other mentees. Very good advice, Mark. Thank you. So I would say, well, my first reaction to your question is, is what I, what would I have done differently? I wish I would have done this a long time ago. I wish I would have um, been able to write this a few years ago, but Again, I, I don't beat myself up for that. It, it came together uh, when it did. So um, I would say that um, what I'd like to do, and this is probably a, a follow-on to your question, is um, I 
I'm thinking about a series, right? This is just the beginning um, of a of a series of of books that I I want to continue sharing, sort of as a way to give back, right? So I think that as I finished up my book Hard Talk, I really wished I would have thought a little bit more about my next book and the follow on, which I do, but I didn't think about that enough when I sat down and wrote this first book. You know, that's an issue for me as well, because you're in the second book that I put out last year, Government Marketing Best Practices 2.0. And it was some of the other women that I was working with over the previous year that said, when is the next edition of your first book coming out? So I turned the tables on you guys and said, it'll come out when you give me chapters. So I selected 11 contributors, not all people that I mentored, but several. But these are, you know, people like you. I'm not going to be able to write your chapter. Hell, um, not my gig. So I got 11 people to write really, really good stuff. And I wrote a couple chapters and I'm more proud of that than anything else I've, I've put together. I would say I wrote, but I didn't write. I only wrote a little bit getting those lessons learned. Um, the, the other lesson, you know, the first book, government marketing, best practices, my first book came out in January of Oh five. And I had been talking about it for a couple of years prior to that. And Dendy young, one of my mentors, uh, finally said, I'm tired of hearing about it. When am I going to see it? <laughs> right. So, mm. you know, talk about deadlines. Let's go ahead and take a break. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the title of your book and what that really means. So we're, you're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm with Eileen Rivera, author of Hard Talk. Get it on Amazon. Do it now. Find her on LinkedIn and connect. Uh, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. This is the final segment of this show with Eileen Rivera, who will be back for more shows really soon because uh, she just said she was going to write more books. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we'll be talking about those in the process. But, you know, the 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 title, Hard Talk, um, we've discussed this also, and that means a lot more to you than just, um, you know, asking hard questions. So this, this seems to be evolving into part of your personal brand as well. So what does having hard talk mean to you? Where does it apply and what should people take away from this? Well, thank you for that, Mark. Well, I'll start out by saying as a parent, I'm a mom, having hard conversations with our kids over unpleasant topics is something that you kind of have to do. It comes with the territory. And I always thought about like when I take off sort of, not that we ever really take off our parent hat when we're in the workplace, but think about, right, when you're in a situation where there is a disagreement or there is a a difference of opinion about how to reach a goal. Let's just say uh, you're helping to lead a team and you're writing a proposal or you're putting together a capture strategy, et cetera. Um, 
there are sometimes folks that, you know, present options that you may think isn't the best way to ultimately reach that goal. And so what I talk about in my style of communications, which I developed over time, right? Again, it really draws from having been inside the government and having watched some pretty phenomenal leaders uh, make major inroads on various major strategies that the government um, took and watching those folks do that. And how did they get people aligned behind them to draw, to reach consensus? It's something that I bring to my role now as a Marcom leader. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that, which is a lot of times folks, they have different opinions and everybody, of course, that's the beauty of working in a, in a, in a, a team in a, in a workplace where people bring different experiences and different viewpoints to the table. And in order to really kind of make you know, progress, let's just say, and to be able to show, okay, here are the outcomes that we want to reach. It really does take someone to connect those dots, hold hands and show how a coordinated strategy will produce results. What I have found quite often is, and this is no fault to anyone uh, in industry, is that they get inside of their swim lanes, they get inside of their rabbit holes, and they're really intent on reaching, uh, let's just say, a, a sales goal at the end of the year, or or a, a number of new clients that um, they're on the hook, if you will, to bring into the company, but. The role of a, of a Marcom leader is to really help the company kind of connect the dots and to see how all the different pieces of business that the company is pursuing, how does that result in achieving uh, and working towards a strategy? And so that really is a long-winded answer of telling you or explaining sort of this capability that um, I feel that Marcom leaders have that um, skill set. We are at the end of the day, the ones responsible for writing, communicating, and all different channels, right? And we know that there are audiences that hear things differently. So my, my brand that I've been evolving over time that, like I said, um, the, the term hard talk kind of came together as I was finishing up my book. I honestly was not prepared to even call it that. Uh, I was really just going to call it confessions of an accidental marketing and communications leader. I remember I thought, that. Right. <laughs> but then I thought to myself, really, it's about this journey that I've been through and continue to go down. And um, the, the way that I have helped uh, our various companies that I've worked with reach certain goals and uh, achieve outcomes has been through a lot of what I've been able to bring to the table, which are having these hard conversations, pressing for answers and connecting the dots that I think is imperative. Yeah. And I, I would like you to take an example or two uh, that you wrote about, or maybe even that you didn't write about. I don't want you to name companies. You've, you've been really good about that uh, <laughs> except for EDS. Uh, because it's no longer there. Uh, but what a cool guy to work for, Ross Perot. Um, <laughs> very, very different kind of guy, uh, at was. least for our market. So 
I know, for instance, you were involved on the PR side of 9-11. Tell me how you got sucked into that (laughs) vortex and uh, what the upshot was. Yeah, no, it's it's so um, timely, right, Mark? We just um, observed the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 just the other day. And I'm sure like you and a lot of listeners all remember what where and what you were doing on 9-11. I certainly do. And I'll just share briefly um, that particular morning I was working from home, which back then was not a typical thing. And uh, but I was uh, getting ready to go into D.C. I live only I live in Alexandria, Virginia, which is uh, not too far. But I was getting ready to go into the city to meet with uh, the uh, head of public affairs for the Federal Aviation Administration. And we were about to announce uh, the day after 9-11, September 12th, uh, a major contract that EDS had won. So I was going to go in and meet with my counterpart, if you will, to sort of plan out a press conference. And I remember calling him to say, hey, just want to make sure that uh, you're still available. And the phone rang and rang and rang and nobody answered. And I thought it was so odd. Well, he finally answered the phone and, and very abruptly said, Eileen, I can't talk to you right now. Turn on your TV and you'll know why. And I'll never forget that because I had no idea at that moment what had just happened in lower Manhattan. And then just a few minutes after I hung up the phone and turned on CNN, uh, a big boom uh, was felt uh, in my neighborhood, shook my windows I lived at the time and still do pretty close to the Pentagon. And that's when the Pentagon was hit. So I share that with you because I, we're just, again, we're just, uh, you know, on the coattails, right? Of the 22nd anniversary. But that morning, forever, and we all can think back to that moment in time, it forever shook our lives, our nation, the world, and certainly the government contracting industry. So you're right. At that time, I was I was leading public relations for the federal division, but uh, I got a call that morning from the then the the head of the of the federal segment, who um, first asked how I was doing, asked how my family was doing, which was so gracious. Um, and lo and behold, both my brother Brian was working in New York City on 9/11, and my uh, husband's family are all police officers and NYPD, and several of them were there. Thankfully, they were all fine. But my role changed after that day. Um, I ended up kind of becoming, if you will, sort of that, again, that connector and helped stand up what we kind of called back then a war room, where executives from across the business would share information, whether it would be about uh, employees that were impacted at the Pentagon and there, unfortunately, were several who perished, as well as customers who were calling saying, we need help. We need help in things like cybersecurity and uh, data security, things that agencies quite before that really hadn't needed help with. So I helped begin sort of a beginnings of a, of a new plan for uh, the company back then to start developing offerings to help our government customers in a grave time of need. And thank you for that. Um, this is this is fascinating. The book is fascinating. Uh, Eileen Rivera, 
The book is Hard Talk. Uh, any final thoughts? Mark, thank you so much for having me on your fabulous podcast. It's an honor. And I do hope that I can come back and share more with you. Uh, well, we can go back to your blog for when you were a consultant, talk about those articles because they're still relevant today. You wrote some great stuff, which is how we hooked up initially. So thank you uh, for that. And I have to do a shout out to J.D. Kathuria for putting out that Marcoms to watch because that's what put me back in touch with you. Oh, God, a year ago now um, to uh, to renew the conversation. So I'd like to just do one quick more shout out while you just mentioned J.D.'s name. Huge thanks to J.D. Kathuria, who wrote the foreword to my book. J.D. Kathuria is the CEO and founder of Washington Exec, and um, I'm really happy uh, that he agreed to write a foreword for me and um, couldn't be couldn't be more thankful. There you go. There you go, J.D. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you've been listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. This is not my day job. Like Eileen, I am involved in marketing to the government, but I specialize in helping companies build a subject matter expert platform predicated on being a real subject matter expert, developing content and leveraging LinkedIn and uh, other activities to build out that area of expertise. If this is of interest, drop me a line, markamtower at gmail.com, or find me on LinkedIn. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.